0: This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. There were no hospital maternity wards, no looking at the baby through the nursery window, No rigid visiting hours, which restricted all except doctors and fathers. No words of, oh, how pretty this baby is, which were whispered through sterile antiseptic masks. None of that when Jesus was born. In fact, back then, there was quite a different response to the birth of a baby, especially a baby boy. It was a signal for general rejoicing in the neighborhood and a feast for relatives and friends who came crowding in to see the newborn infant. But Joseph and Mary were far away from their home when Jesus was born, and so the festivities would not be as usual had they been back home in a normal setting. Even though they may have had some relatives in or around Bethlehem, things were quite different for the birth of Jesus in more (laughs) ways than one. We all heard the Christmas story so many times until we are prone to hear the facts again with a ho-hum attitude. But it really is strange that the only guests who came to visit at the birth of Jesus were two groups of people, wise men and the shepherds. These are the folks we're going to be thinking about for just these next few minutes this morning. First, let's take the group with which most people are probably more familiar. That's the shepherds. It's hard for some people to accept the fact that the first ones to learn of the wondrous birth in Bethlehem were the lowly shepherds. There have been attempts, therefore, to upgrade the shepherds by describing them in more glorious terms. They have been pictured not as ordinary herdsmen, who often infuriated the rabbis by their crude life, their regular absence from the synagogue, and their failure to follow all the details of the law. Instead, these shepherds have been pictured as men who guarded the flocks which were destined for the temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. It's probably closer to the truth to see these men simply as ordinary shepherds who had no privilege, No wealth or special intelligence. They had to keep long hours at work, protecting their sheep from the wild animals and robbers. Well-trained sheepdogs surely helped these shepherds in defending the flock. These men did have a special quality to their lives, though. They lived close to the earth. They were in tune with nature. They probably knew the God of nature. They had time to think, to reflect, to ponder many things. I doubt that all of their thoughts were high and noble thoughts always. They must have had normal times when they argued among themselves over who was going to be the one to shear the sheep, or who would go into town to buy necessary provisions, or who would take the night shift the following night. But above all this, These shepherds were men who were in tune with the wonder and beauty of God's world, all about them. Though they never sang this song, I believe they certainly would have agreed with the sentiments, this is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. The names of the shepherds who came to celebrate the birth of Jesus will never be known. The Bible does not record their names. But don't you know that God had a purpose in selecting common, ordinary men to be the very first to know Why, if they had been theologians or scholars, they would probably have delayed going to Bethlehem until they first had a debate on the hillside somewhere. The conservatives would have insisted that uh, they should never leave their sheep, while I'm sure those who were more liberal would have argued that the appearance of an angelic host was just a wild dream, some kind of hallucination. Well, anybody with a flair for writing drama could have had a field day with this idea, drawing from the imagination of all scenarios. One fact which the writer of such a story would surely not want to overlook would be that God's call to these men came while they were faithfully at their job. This is not the only such time recorded in Scripture when God chose busy people for His divine purpose. Moses was also tending the flock of God when God called him through the burning bush. David was also tending sheep when he was called. Gideon was threshing grain when he heard the call of God. Elijah was plowing in a field. Over in the New Testament, Matthew was collecting taxes. Peter was so busy with his livelihood of fishing Isn't it amazing that God calls people to His glorious work while they're so busy? But let's move on quickly to that second group who came to adore Christ, the newborn King. These are the wise men. We read about these men in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. You can take your Bible and read Matthew 2, the first two verses we do not know how much time went by between the visit of the shepherds and the arrival of the wise men in Bethlehem. It is safe to assume, however, that the wise men did not come there to Bethlehem on the same night that Jesus was born. They did not come to see the baby in the manger. I know that disturbs a lot of people to think about that when we have manger scenes with all the cattle and Baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the wise men gathered around the manger. In fact, if you'll read the scripture very closely, you'll see in Matthew chapter 2.11 that the wise men came not to the stable, but into the house. That's the King James Version, Matthew 2.11. Read it for yourself one of the well-known, well-beloved Christmas carols begins with the words, We three kings of Orient are. So far, there are probably at least three errors here. First, the Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were who came. Also, it does not say that they were kings. And the best scholars indicate that these men came probably from Persia, but certainly no farther east, not from the Orient. Uh, Persia was, is our modern-day Iran. But we sing, we three kings of Orient are. It would not fit very well to say, uh, we the, the men of Persia are. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, does it? Tradition, of course, plays a big part in much of our Christmas thinking. But all tradition is, is not based on fact. Tradition says that there were three, probably because they presented three gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the assumption is that there's one gift, one giver. It's interesting to note that some earlier traditions say that a whole caravan made that trip, not just three, that there were as many as 12 perhaps in the group that came. Some legends also give the wise men names, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Some give their ages as 20, 40, and 60. Their skin color is also given with a lot of variety, white, yellow, black. But all of this is only legend. Some of it was invented some 600 years after the birth of Christ. A lot of legend about the story of the wise men. There is, however, something that we can learn from the visit of these wise men, which is indicated in the scripture. One interesting fact concerns the gifts that they brought to Jesus. No one ever approached a person of high position, such as a monarch, without bringing a gift. And although we can give to Christ without worshiping, we cannot worship without giving. These wise men brought three gifts. First, gold, the most frequently mentioned metal in the Bible. It was a royal gift which symbolized riches. Since kings had access to wealth, gold is often associated with kings. Some kings had golden drinking vessels, some had golden thrones, And some had gold-trimmed chariots. Leslie Flynn says that the wise men's gift of gold pictured the wealth of this newborn king. Though during his earthly sojourn, he was to be outwardly poor, yet in reality, the gold, silver, cattle, and a thousand hills, all that belongs to him. At his creative word, he had beckoned forth the world in which he had been deposited, vast mineral deposits. He clothed the lilies. He made fur coats for animals. He fed not just one mouth or family, but all the creatures of the world. Yes, Jesus was rich. The second gift that was brought by the wise men was frankincense. This was a yellowish, fragrant gum resin which was obtained by making incisions on the bark of an Arabian tree. Frankincense was used for making incense for burning in the temple. Offered to God in worship, this gift symbolized devotion and reminded the ones who came to see Jesus that they had found the one who was worthy of their adoration. It also spoke of his future role as priest, our high priest. Frankincense, very symbolic. But the third gift was myrrh, and it symbolized something that was not very pleasant at all. This was a reddish-brown or orange-colored substance that was very expensive. It was very valuable since it was used for perfumes, for spice, for medicine, and for embalming. How fitting it was that Jesus should be given this gift Yet how strange it was that such a gift should be given to a newborn baby. But this baby was later to grow up and say, I came to give my life a ransom for many. The death of Jesus was the real purpose for which he came into the world. He did not deserve death, but he came to die for us who did deserve death. On the cross, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh as a substance to deaden his pain, but he refused it. When Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea removed the body of Jesus from the cross, they they brought a hundred-pound mixture of myrrh and aloes to wind it in linen clothes with the spices, according to Jewish burial custom. You can read all about that in John chapter 19. And so these three gifts were very symbolic gifts. They spoke of Jesus' wealth, of worship, and work on the cross, acclaiming him as king, God, and savior. Someone has suggested that when the wise men made plans to leave their home in search of this newborn king, There may have been scoffers who made fun of them. In response to many questions, these men would have had to answer in all honesty, we don't know who the king is. We don't know where he is. We don't know how we're going to find him or how long it will take to find him or how much that trip to find him will cost. We don't know any of that. Then the opponents may have offered the question, then why go? Their answer, three reasons some sentences in Scripture, a star in the sky, and a stirring in our hearts. Yes, they could have been more practical. They could have been like one writer imagines some other so-called wise men. This is fantasy imagination, of course. Some other wise men, maybe who left Jerusalem that night, riding their camels down the dusty road to Bethlehem, loaded with microscopes, telescopes, gyroscopes, and slide rules. Seeing the star, these sophisticated scholars, followed faithfully by admiring students, were looking for the best place to set up their equipment to see that new star in its brilliance. Finally, they set up their instruments just outside a house on the edge of Bethlehem. They began making notes as to the size and shape of the star, trying to concentrate intently on their findings, a noise came from within this house nearby. That noise began to disturb their calculations. And in this fanciful tale, it said that finally, one of the more quick-tempered scholars knocked on the door of that house and yelled, please keep that baby from crying. We're scholars, we're out here to record a great new astronomical discovery. Make that baby quit crying. He's bothering us. Well, one can be so wise with regard to the stars and sky, but completely miss the bright and morning star. But it was not so with the three wise men. It was not so with the shepherds. Those who find Christ are truly wise people. You've heard the phrase many times, wise men still seek Jesus. In closing, let me share with you some words of Lona Fowler, who writes, If I had been a shepherd, if I had been a shepherd, I'm sure I would have been too weary to go that night to Bethlehem, or else too worried about the welfare of my sheep without me. If I had been a wise man, I'm sure I would have had too many things to do at that time of year, or else I would have thought it foolish to trust my travel to nothing more than a star. If I had been the mother Mary, I'm sure I would not have made that trip to Bethlehem in that condition, for almost everyone in fact there was a peculiar inconvenience about the birth of Jesus Christ. An inconvenient birth because it came when folks were weary, involved, and under strain. An inconvenience that surely set the tone for the whole life of Jesus and all His work and our relation to His life and work. For it is not exactly convenient that this being born anew And it is not convenient to do what he requires or desires. And yet, this Christmas time, which has its inconvenience for us here again, here it is. Grant us, our God, to begin to be at hand for you and to do the inconvenient. For Jesus' sake. Yes, the shepherds, after their visit, made their way back to the sheep. They continued their work. The wise men mounted their clumsy camels. They lumbered back home after they had found their king. Do you realize that it was Jewish shepherds and Gentile wise men bound together by a common goal? Oh, how symbolic of the scope of this universal outreach of the message of Christianity. Had not Isaiah the prophet written years before, and Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah 60, verse 3. In the 1800s, William Dix penned the lines which might well be our prayer as we close today. As with gladness men of old did the guiding star behold, As with joy they hailed its light, leading onward, beaming bright. So, most gracious Lord, may we evermore be led to thee. Father, that's our prayer. We want to be led to you in every aspect of our life as we let Jesus come and be our king, our redeemer, our savior. Thank you, God, for giving us your son through whom we have life abundant and eternal. Amen.